everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise. I am one of your hosts, Jeff Paulson, sitting directly across from me in what I guess is a midriff. It's like that t-shirt with the cutoff right halfway yeah. down is Mark A. Johnston, my co-host. Mark, that's an interesting look. Yeah, um, I got this in Vegas for half price. <laughs> I thought maybe it just shrunk, but no, that's no. I purpose. thought I'd show off my chiseled uh, abs. Yeah, well, your ab. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I had them removed actually. They're just, oh, okay. No abs well, left. It looks like it. Well, hey, Mark, I've got a got a thing for you. Uh, we are going to do a show here today. I'm going to give you a choice as to what what you want the topic to be. A, oh, great. Let's do a baseball podcast. We've done 25 other ones. We could make it number 26, or we can. Watch uh, Tom Amansky defensive drills video dubbed into Latin. Your choice. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the baseball podcast just based on personal knowledge. Okay. Well, you, you, you don't know anything about defensive drills then. Uh, no. Fred McGriff wearing a huge hat. And... <laughs> the crime dog. Is he wearing like the, the detective's hat by chance? No, it's it's that snapback trucker's hat, you know, with the mesh in the back. But the oh. thing, it's huge. <laughs> but Tom Amansky, did you? I recently heard the story behind that, you know, Fred McGriff being on those videos. Have you heard this? No, no. Tell me. So Tom Amansky, straight up, you know, is a is a baseball guy. He 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 knows the stuff, and he actually helped Fred McGriff work something out with the swing a couple of years earlier. So then Tom Amansky's producing these videos, which if you are, I guess if you're a certain age, you need to be probably over 25, 30 years old. You know, these Tom Amansky videos that were on ESPN every commercial break. Yes. It's got Fred McGriff. Even top professional players are impressed. Just ask Major League Superstar Fred McGriff. I'm so impressed with the instruction videos by Coach Amansky that I've given them my full endorsement. When you watch them, you'll know why. Well, apparently Tom Amansky called Fred McGriff and said, Hey, during spring training, you mind just doing a quick intro to these videos I'm making? And, and you know, McGriff felt like he owed him. So he said, yeah, sure. Had no idea that he was going to be the centerpiece of the entire, you know, commercial campaign and be on ESPN every single day. And he got nothing, got nothing for it. It was just a total favor. Wow. That's a sneaky move. I like it. But I mean, the fact that we are still talking about Tom Amansky defensive drills videos, it was clearly a marketing success. It was work of marketing genius. Speaking of commercial successes, I would like to delve back into something we talked about during our 1998 season, uh, Schmorgasborg, because really it was two episodes, the Maguire, Sosa, and then the 98 sure. kind of retrospective, and the Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, Chicks Dig the Long Ball commercial. Yes. Because that was just, again, a, a stroke of genius in terms of marketing. Again, we're still talking about it. People still know what Chicks Dig the Long Ball refers to. There was a, and I'll, I'll link this in the show notes, there was a great article on Yahoo Sports about the story behind that commercial because Nike had been using a particular uh, agency, ad agency, for quite a while. They did the just do it, you know, all that stuff, but yeah. they were trying to move away and they wanted something different. And so they pitted that agency against another agency to, you know, come up with a campaign and whoever is best 
that's who we're going to go with. So these guys came up with this stuff and, and they had Maddox and Glavin shooting all these workout montages out of order. They had no idea what this commercial was even for <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, hey, Maddox uh, or Glavin, you know, smack Maddox in the abs with this bat and, you know, just all these workout things. But, uh, <laughs> they, they didn't know what it was really for until they saw it, but they could not come up with that tagline that ultimately was chicks dig the long ball. They could not come up with it. And originally it was just going to be Heather Locklear saying, what can I say? Girls love home runs, but <laughs> they didn't. I mean, that's kind of anticlimactic really is. Yeah. Compared. So apparently one of these guys at the ad agency was rewatching the movie stripes, you know, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis and the Absolutely. army. Absolutely, One of my favorites love stripes. And at one point, Bill and Mary's character says, chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. Yes. And, and that kind of sparked his, uh, sparked his creative juices. And that's when he came up with chicks dig the long ball. Well, it's brilliant. He walked into a meeting one day and he's like, I got it. Chicks dig the long ball and everybody's on board. So I, I found a great quote in this article. Uh, Maddox and Glavin were poking fun at John Smoltz because he was not in this commercial, right? <laughs> and so this is during a 2004, I guess Smoltz was interviewing them on the MLB network. Maddox, Maddox uh, said to Smoltz, you didn't win enough games uh, when that was going on to be included. And then Glavin says, Smoltzy, chicks dig the long ball, not the bald spot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Those guys are good good friends that was a hell of a rotation those those are your top three pitchers that was one of the best rotations i i remember at all and then steve avery was when he was young was that number four yep and then who was it charlie liebrandt i think was the number five pitcher at that point i think kent merker was a spot starter yeah can't yeah yeah and he'd come out of the bullpen too exactly a spot starter yeah yep yeah uh i got another couple of questions for you here some things that made me stop and think like serious questions if you could add one player from the mariners past that is not a hall of famer nor an award winner the the full question was actually or on a world series team but we're talking about the mariners <laughs> okay yes <laughs> proviso and you could put them on your team right now so the mariners who would it be probably raul Ibanez. Really? Very underrated, lots of power, underrated defensively, good arm, all around fantastic player. Um, and, you know, I don't think he has any big reward or uh, awards in his name or anything like that. Um, but, man, the guy played 150% every game. I love that guy. He's the first guy to come to mind. And uh, I, I, I actually, I think he's going to be my best pick. I would have said for the Mariners, I would have said Bone, Jay Buhner. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking Jay had won like a silver slugger or something. Maybe he didn't. Uh, I we're not going to count that. I said major awards, so oh. we will. I don't know if I said major awards, but silver slugger. I I was thinking more like MVP or Cy Young award winner. Oh, I see. Okay, sorry. I took. You know, ambiguity is the devil's volleyball. Could you be more specific? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I like I like Jay Buner as well. Um, I think Ibanez doesn't get mentioned nearly enough. He was a heck of a ball player. Is, do you build around him, though? Because I'm assuming that this kind of, especially with the Mariners, you would want somebody to build around. Yeah, I don't I don't see building around him. I see him as an important piece of the puzzle. 
Um, but, you know, looking at the Mariners, you know, you, you've taken the, the guy off the table that was the one guy you build around, and that's Mr. Griffey. Yeah, well, I had a tough time with mine. I mean, I for the A's right now, I would – I mean, my immediate response – was Dave Stewart, but he was in the World Series, so I can't that was, do yep. can't do that. Was him. my first thought. It's hard because all of the greatest A's players, you know, the A's have been to the World Series enough or won enough yeah. awards that it's it's a little it's, tougher for you. Yeah, it is, but I I would definitely want it to be a pitcher. So, and I would think a starter, although their bullpen is not great right now either. I don't know. I I couldn't I couldn't really come up with one off the top of my head because I didn't I didn't want to think about it I wanted to kind of come up with it while we discussed but I I like your answer a lot better than my my non-answer so let's uh let's move into the debut segment here uh this is where we like to talk about uh, some guys that debuted on uh, today the day that we're dropping this show so this will be uh premiering on July 30th we are wow we've only got two months left in the baseball season oh man Uh, July 30th, a couple of really big debuts throughout history uh, in, in Major League Baseball. 1959, Willie McCovey. Oh, wow. Hall of Famer for the Giants. He was named Rookie of the Year in 59. He was the MVP of the National League in 1969 and a six-time All-Star. Wow. And he I played read- for the Tacoma Giants, let me just add. Oh, did he? Yes, he did. Cadillac, that was his nickname, wasn't it? Cadillac, yes. I read a story that I thought was very interesting because I'm, you know, here in the Bay Area, and Willie Mays is obviously love. Everyone loves Willie Mays. How could you but not? I was reading this story, said that Willie Mays is actually the second most popular Willie in Giants franchise history, San Francisco Giants franchise history. Sure. Willie McCovey's the first. Interesting. And, and I have to assume it's because Willie McCovey came up with the San Francisco Giants. Obviously, Willie Mays came from the Giants in Manhattan, and then McCovey here came up when they were in San Francisco. I, it makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I, get, I get what you're saying. They, they got him for his entire career from the call-up from Tacoma through you know the, entire, the end of his career to his retirement and so on. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so our next one, 1971, on this day, uh, Dave Kingman made his debut. Oh, wow. One of the great designated hitters. Yeah. So he played 16 years, hit 442 home runs. Wow. He led the league twice in 1979 with the Cubs and 1980 with the Mets. He played for a lot of teams, too. Yeah. <laughs> did He never played for the Mariners, did he? No, we never had Mr. Kingman. I always think of Kingman and Kingdom, and for some reason, I always think that he played there. But clearly, he did not. I would see again your marketing mind. We could have really done something with that. <laughs> Definitely. And then the final one on this date, 1983, Joe Carter made his oh, debut. Wow. Can you tell me who he came up with? Joe Carter was a San Diego Padre. No. No. He came up with the Chicago Cubs. I did not know that. I did not either. He played just that one year, his rookie year with the Cubs. He was traded to Cleveland the next year. And, of course, he's probably most uh, famous for being on the Blue Jays. And, of course, that walk-off three-run home run off Mitch Williams in the 93 World Series with none other than Ricky Henderson dancing off second base. That's right. But that was uh, those are three huge uh, debuts on this date. Uh, 
usually when I look down that list, I'm I'm like, oh, there's one person that everybody's going to know, and then a couple of people that probably not as many will know. But those, those are, are three big names. Substantial players, absolutely. Also, we've got a birthday today I did want to mention. I wanted to give a happy birthday to everybody's favorite baseball superstar named after a fish. It's Trout's birthday today. Oh, well. Steve Trout. <laughs> oh, I was going a different direction. Yeah, great. <laughs> well, people always forget about journeyman middle reliever Steve Trout. Oh, I, I think he was a middle reliever. I he? believe so, yes. Was he even a pitcher? He was a pitcher. I'm fairly certain he was a pitcher. Well, I mean, it depends yeah. on your definition. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pull up. Steve Trout's uh, baseball reference page is littered with teams he was on the mariners did you yes, know that I did. wrapped up in 1989 at the Mar- with the mariners career 88 and 92 mark mm-hmm. uh career, you know fielding independent pitching 3.87 his whip at about one and a half and you know this is about what what i expected actually he was a starter most it of his career seems like a I, serviceable I was, back of the end back of the rotation starter. yeah number four yeah. or five guy but happy birthday to everybody's second favorite trout baseball player. That's Steve right. Trout. The second greatest trout to ever play the game. <laughs> All right. So that'll wrap up the BP segment. They are raising the batting cage to the top of the dome, as I discovered last week. It's where they keep oh. it here. And uh, so that will uh, take us into the, uh, I hate to say meat and potatoes, because I feel like I always say that. What's it, What's another phrase for um, the heart of the order? How about that? It'll take us the heart of the order. And we polled a uh, hundred people, uh, randomly pulled them off the street and asked them who they wanted to go first. Uh, this week, the answer, uh, the winning answer was actually uh, that neither of us go and we both shut up and stop. But oh. uh, the the two people that did respond wanted you to go first this week, Mark. Oh, wow. Okay, hold on. Let me put down my drink. Okay. So, you know what I want to talk about this week is is player comebacks. Let's do it. Baseball is a tough game to, to get to the big leagues in the first place. To get to the big leagues and then be out of baseball or out of you know out of the u.s um, playing baseball otherwise in other places is is incredibly difficult to do uh, to make a comeback on but uh, i've got a list of players who've pulled it off and um it's uh there's a couple guys going right now that are working on some comebacks have you heard about these guys you know what i'm talking about mm, I, i'm sure i will have after you told me yeah nobody this is not a real big lead story or anything but there's a couple guys uh that are former big leaguers that are trying to make a comeback to the big leagues one of them is former blue jay anthony ghost yeah i remember that name yeah um five years in the majors he played 358 games uh, outfielder quick outfielder uh good defensively could play all outfield positions and so on 240 career hitter better base stealer than he was a hitter so ghost uh, always uh, had a great arm from the outfield and so somebody suggested, hey, maybe a way back to the big leagues is by pitching. And uh, apparently he can throw between 95, even up to 100 miles an hour with his fastball. Wow. So he's got a lot of a pop and he's, he's got a great arm. Um, the, he decided he was going to come make a comeback. The Rangers said, yeah, that's a good idea. And then the Astros actually took him in the Rule 5 draft in December of this last wow, year. Wow, so he had just the Rule 5 draft means that you have to be on the Major League roster the entire year. Right. Otherwise, you That's get right. sent back to the original team. 
That's right, which is what happened. <laughs> he, he didn't make the Astros. They sent him back to the original. So he didn't team. even make it out of spring training? No, he, he did not make the roster, and he's, I believe, um, back with the Texas Got Rangers it. in the minors. Okay, so another guy that's working on a comeback right now is Ryan Fierabend. He pitched in 2006 for the Mariners, and he, he was pretty good. And then he uh, struggled the next three seasons, couldn't get a major league contract, so he signed with a Korea team, a Korean team. And so he played in Korea and decided he wasn't going to be a, a fastball pitcher anymore. He was going to be a knuckleballer. And it's interesting because he's a lefty. Can you name the last left-handed knuckleballer you saw? Left-handed knuckleballer? Oh. Right. The Negroes were both right-handed, weren't they? That's right. Yep. I Has there ever been a left-handed knuckleballer? There, there has. A guy named Danny Boone in 1990. Daniel Not Boone? Daniel. No, just Danny. Oh, okay. Probably a third cousin. Uh, Danny Boone in 1990. Couldn't find a whole lot about him. Um, but he wasn't a very successful pitcher. Before that, you have to go back to the 60s and 70s. A guy named Wilbur now Wood, I, who was a pretty yeah, talented that's a name I lefty know. knuckleballer. So Fierabend is currently uh, with the Buffalo Bisons in AAA with the uh, Blue yep. Jays. So we'll see what happens. It's kind of fun to watch. But in looking at those guys, I started thinking, in baseball's past, there have been some pretty good comebacks. I thought maybe I'd talk about a few of them today, if that's okay with you. That's why we're here. All right. Well, I think everybody knows the Rick Ankiel story, or at least most people do. Yep. Ankiel is kind of the epitome of, of a comeback player. He was, uh, he came up as a pitcher and he was, uh, you know, this hard throwing lefty. And, and uh, he, when he signed with the Cardinals, he got a two and a half million dollar signing bonus. And that was the fifth largest ever to an amateur. Um, he actually pitched in his first playoff game when he was only 21 years old. In, uh, but the, the problem came up in the 2000 National League Division Series where Rick Ankiel threw nine wild pitches and walked 11 batters in four innings. That was tough to watch. It was. It was painful. Whether you're a fan or not, that's just not yeah. fun. Um, yeah, the, the, wild, the wild pitches broke a record uh, from 1890, but he, he just never – he had zero control left, and he left baseball. Um, pitched a little bit on a comeback in 2005, but actually discovered that he was going to be a better outfielder than he was going to be a pitcher. Well, he was always a decent hitter, wasn't he? He was. He was a good hitting pitcher and a good bat to have there hitting ninth. Um, but yeah, he decided I'm going to be an outfielder and back to the big leagues in 2007. And he was a starting outfielder in 2008. And I think he was a platoon in 2009. And then from 2010 to 2013, he was basically a fourth outfielder for a few different teams, but he was a heck of a player. He hit a lot of home runs and played good defense. And, and, and he had uh, that arm, that arm. Did. I remember there was one one or two throws that you can still find on on YouTube of just gunning people down from center field. Yes. It, it, something that, that came with him was the uh, velocity. Yeah. So that was cool. It just was, he got what, and we might have to do a show on, on the yips. He got what's called the yips. Mm -hmm. And that's for those of you that don't know, that's basically they don't know why, but a player will just start not being able to aim the ball where he throws it. And it just goes everywhere. You know, another guy that got it was like Chuck Knobloch, I remember. Yep. Uh, so it, it's uh, he came back from the yips, not as a pitcher, but as an outfielder. And I thought that was a really cool story. And most people know that one, but I, I 
I would be remiss if I left it out. It's a good, good place to, good, good one to throw in there. There you go. Um, another one I want to talk about, Julio Franco. You remember this guy? I am very familiar with Julio Franco. You should be because he played like 100 years, I think. Yeah, he was on the Braves for a couple of years while I was there. Yes, he was a batting champion in 91. Um, he, he decided he was, he was, uh, he spent 95 in Japan after not being able to sign a big league contract. Um, and then he went on what, what I'm going to call the Julio Franco world tour. Um, he went, he was in Japan in 98 and he spent 99 in Mexico. And in 2000, he played in South Korea and in 01, he played in Mexico again. So this is a guy that's just not going to quit, you know, and you got to respect that. I just think that's amazing, you know, to go from a big league superstar, uh, you know, a three-time all-star, an American league batting champion to playing in Korea and Mexico, just in in the long odds of getting back to the big leagues. Well, he had a huge year in 01 in Mexico and he got a job with the Phillies and he was back in the big leagues at the age of 43 and uh, he played from then on. He played in the majors from every year from uh, 2001 to 2007. Over 1,600 plate appearances. And uh, the last time he put on a uniform was in 07 for the Braves when he was 49 years old. That is a comeback. Yeah. Boy, I remember I saw a real sport on HBO about him. And after he left the big leagues for good, he was still puttering around uh, in Central America, just solely out of the love of the game. You know, he knew at that point he wasn't going to make it back, but a 50-plus-year-old, a he was still, you know, and he was a legend down there. He would still, you know, still be productive down there in, in some of those smaller Mexican leagues. Yeah, that, that's amazing, too. Just the guy that loves loves to play baseball so i think that's super cool i mean uh, your your guy ricky anderson was also a guy that didn't oh, want I, to stop playing i saw him play against the mesa i don't even remember what mesa was but he was on the san diego surf dogs yeah i was at those games yeah this is some guys that just want to play and i got nothing but respect for that if i had any talent whatsoever for baseball i would play until i was dead absolutely have to you know? pry the bat out of my cold dead hands yes yeah that sounds like a good slogan for something but anyway i'm gonna move on um bartolo Colon. you remember when bartolo Colon was a fireball pitcher striking everybody <laughs> I out do. i do yeah. i do um he hurt his right shoulder which is a bummer because that's the one he throws with um he missed all of 2011 and they went in and found out that he had damage to his rotator cuff some ligaments some tendons he had, uh, and I, I hadn't heard of this a lot, especially not in a baseball player, uh, but he had a stem cell transplant to replace the damage in his shoulder. And he, after that, he started, you know, slowly making a comeback, got to the point where he knew his velocity was never going to be the same. So he kind of reinvented himself as more of a finesse pitcher, uh, someone with great command. And he's been very successful since then. So somebody that blew their arm out, uh, you know, a fireballer blew his arm out and then made the comeback and changed his pitching style completely and totally and was still successful after that. It's a cool story. I've got some, I've got some Bartolo things. Let's hear it. First of all, big sexy. Everyone loves big sexy. Yes. But he, you know, he was on the A's for a little while. So I've got some good, some good Mm -hmm. stuff just off the top of my head here. I remember at one point he threw 32 straight fastballs and you know, as you said, they weren't, 
they weren't he wasn't burning up the the radar gun but he was always around the strike zone he yeah. threw 32 straight fastballs four strikes wow <laughs> wow, that's I mean, a control yeah, pitcher, folks. Yeah, I mean, you can go and throw 32 straight fastballs. It doesn't happen often, no. but you could do it. But for strikes, all of them, that's yeah. incredible. That's impressive. And then, of course, one of the most popular videos on MLB.com is Bartolo Colon hitting his first and only career home run uh, in a Mets uniform against the Padres uh, just, a, a, I think it was two years ago. And then, of yep. course, last year... He was still in the league, and this year I think he would play if anybody signed him. But he's he's still unsigned yeah, more than sadly. halfway through the season. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, well done. Uh, there are certain pitchers out there that uh, want to still remain strikeout pitchers when their velocity is is gone down. Uh, you know, and these guys just learn to pitch. You know, I mean, just I'm wants to like throw. Simple. You know, <laughs> go, learn to pitch. Learn just learn a different style of pitching, sure. and and you could be like Bartolo Colon. Um, I think Big Sexy needs to work on a, a knuckleball and get back. Oh, man, why not? And start throwing with his left arm. Yep, both arms. <laughs> That's been done. He can be amphibious, amb- <laughs> amb- ambidextrous. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where where is Venditti at this point. Maybe he can I work don't out know. with him. I, I, he didn't make a big league team out of spring training, I don't think. But he's got to be somewhere. I'm sure he is. Yeah, everybody wants a... Uh, ambidextrous pitcher, uh, a, a so-so ambidextrous pitcher. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He he is a, a sideshow, and, and that's cool. Actually, he's not a bad pitcher. Let's let's not take anything away from him. Um, Scott Casimir, another f- brief athletic. That's right. Casimir, um, at the age of twenty-three, led the American League in strikeouts. He was walking a lot of guys back then. His walks got less and less as his career went on. Um, and by the time he was 24, he was a two-time All-Star. And then in 2010 and through 2011, um, he had some injuries. He struggled with his command. And in 2012, he couldn't get a contract at all. So he signed and played for an independent league team. And I, I, I got to say, I've never heard of him, but I like the name, the Sugarland Skeeters. Oh, yeah. They, they yeah. play uh, down there with uh, – that's where uh, Roger Clemens – pitch okay a couple of years just off and on for the skeeters yeah yeah it's, that's a cool name and I, I looked up their logo i kind of want the hat except i don't want to promote mosquitoes you know yeah, just because i don't like them this season brought to you by malaria that's right right which we don't want to repeat of that anyway no. um so casimir pitched very well for the skeeters and then he landed a gig in puerto rico and he was impressive there, and he signed a minor league deal with the Cleveland Indians and out of spring training won their fifth starter job. And he did a, a very good job, especially for a fifth starter. And the next year he signed a contract with the A's. And the year after that, he was back on the all-star team. So an all-star real early in life and an all-star towards the end of his career too. I thought that was impressive too. Yeah, I remember. He was, Kazmir was always one of those guys that at the deadline was always one of those guys that everybody wanted to pick up because yes. he was a, a good oh, yeah. a good guy to plug in that rotation. You mentioned, he gets mentioned in all the trade rumors and all that fun stuff, yep. Speaking of, this is airing on the 30th. Um, yeah, we're getting one more day and the, the yeah, only all, trade deadline this year. It's almost time. Yep, one trade deadline. It's very interesting. 
Yeah. Uh, should be fun. But um, I'll just wrap this up real quick, talking a little bit about uh, there, there are some uh, a lot of pitchers who came back after Tommy John surgery, you know, and um, just to mention a few, John Smoltz, Steven Strasburg, Steven Strasburg, David Wells. And there's a guy that had Tommy John surgery. His name was Tommy John. Yeah. And, and he, he thinks he should and, be in the Hall of Fame. And well, I tend to agree with him if you look at his numbers. No, he's got good numbers. He's a borderline Hall of Fame. Plus he got his, he, you know, he got his own surgery. But what are the yeah. odds that a guy named Tommy John ends up getting Tommy John surgery? <laughs> it's it's probably crazy. about the same odds that Lou Gehrig would contract Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> it's just so strange. I'm glad there's not a, a Mark J disease or anything. There might be. I mean, we, we might not find it until I get it. Or it might just be that, you know, I already have it and it's called this running is, off at the mouth. Yep. Uh, this is what it is. You're listening to the symptoms right <laughs> MJ now. MJ disease. There you go. So, yeah, just a few Tommy John guys. Uh, I thought maybe I'd do a show in the future just talk about Tommy John surgery. It's pretty interesting stuff. Also, you know? guys that, that weren't pitchers that had so – Sean Doolittle. There's yeah. somebody from he, – he came up with the A's. He was a first baseman and just wasn't going to ever really do anything. He was one of those, you know, I don't even know if he was a, a 4A. He was maybe like a, a 2.5A first baseman. But yeah. he had a good arm. And so they stuck him on the mound and, you know, became an all-star with the A's as a closer, got traded to the uh, Nationals. He's been an all-star as a closer there and, uh, and, you know, one of the more consistent closers in the, in the game in the past seven, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's an amazing, life-changing, career-changing surgery. And when it first was tried, they, uh, the odds given to Tommy John were about 100 to 1 that he'd ever pitch again. And, and and just so we we mentioned though, Doolittle did not have Tommy John. That was right. just a position change. That was a position change slash comeback at a different spot. Gotcha. Um, so those those are pretty much all the the players I wanted to talk about comeback players. While we keep our eyes out for Anthony Ghost and Ryan Fairbend, see if they can make the trek back from uh, uh, leaving the game all the way back to the major leagues. I'm I'm curious. Maybe we should look up. Did either of those guys ever get in a blowout and pitch? You know, I, I know. you know, it's kind of a newer thing where managers will throw a position player in there to pitch at the drop of a hat. These days, right. it used to be a kind of a real rarity. But um, but that wraps it up for me, man. All right, so uh, it's uh, it's my turn now. Oh yeah. If I were to tell you there was a plaque in the Hall of Fame honoring a catcher who hit only 200 over his career, what would you say? I'm talking, of course, about Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre. Living legend. Living legend. And I, you know, we, we are recording this a little, this episode a little bit later than we were originally planning on, and it's completely my fault because I keep getting sidetracked by watching videos of Bob Euchre because he's done so much and he's such an entertaining person that I, I, I start watching a video. I'm like, all right, I, I got to get back to actually writing what I want to say. And then YouTube suggests, oh, here's another Bob Euchre video. I watched a whole episode of Mr. Belvedere. Wow. It, there's a lot of stuff out there to, to watch if you want to see Bob Euchre on the Internet. But let's jump into Bob Euchre. And we're going to kind of divide this up into two sections because Bob Euchre, before becoming a play-by-play -play announcer and an actor, was a, a, a player, a baseball player. 
So Bob Euchre was born and grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Until the age of 18, Euchre was a pitcher, and he had a pretty good arm. So you might ask me, how did he become a catcher? Hey, Jeff, how did Bob Euchre become a catcher? Let me tell you. So as Euchre tells it, uh, he was pitching at a game. His parents, everybody, his friends were there in the stands. The manager comes out to take him out of the game. But Bob didn't want to be taken out. He was embarrassed, didn't want to walk off the mound in front of his friends and family. He says, let me face this guy one more time. I struck him out last time. And his manager goes, I know, but it was earlier this inning. So I got to get you out of here. And so that's when he moved to becoming a catcher so he didn't have to leave the game. Uh, Euchre served in the military after leaving high school. Now, this is a little bit, this is a little bit shady. So he left high school early, which is first a, a nice way of saying he dropped out. Yes. He played military ball, which kept him from having to go overseas during the war. Now, military ball, we've talked about it a little bit, but it was reserved for college and minor league players. And as I said, Euchre was fresh out of high school. but So he did something a little bit shady. He lied. He told the enlister that he played college ball at Marquette. Now, Marquette did not have a baseball team at that point, but they weren't exactly doing deep background checks, apparently. So after his military service, Uke signed with the hometown Milwaukee Braves in 1956. He played throughout uh, the minors in the next six years for the Braves and was a actually a pretty good offensive catcher. He had over 300 and had double-digit home runs every year. 1962, he broke camp with the big team. Spent the season backing up catchers Joe Torrey and Del Crandall. Those are two pretty pretty common names. Uh, on September 29th, he caught Warren Spawn in Spawn's 327th victory for a left-hander, which broke Eddie Plank's record. Wow. Uke uh, was then traded the next year to St. Louis, where he spent the next two seasons again as a backup, this time to another catcher-turned-announcer, Tim McCarver. Okay, McCarver broke his finger early in the 1965 uh, spring training uh, exhibition season, and that forced Euchre to be the opening day catcher. So on opening day, Bob Gibson's on the mound against the Chicago Cubs, and there was Bob Euchre catching him. Uh, And and Euchre and Bob Gibson actually became really good friends. Uh, Euchre hit 228 in 53 games that year, but after the season was again traded, this time to the Phillies. Euchre summed up his experience as a hitter for the Phillies like this. With Philadelphia, I'd be sitting on the bench and manager Gene Mock would holler down, grab a bat, Bob, let's stop this rally. Still in 1966, uh, this was his best offensive season. As a Philly, he hit seven of his 14 career home runs and established a career high in hits with 43. Wow, he peaked. Uh, 67, Euchre was once again traded by the Phillies, this time to the now Atlanta Braves in the middle of the season. And the Braves wanted Euchre for one reason. They wanted him to catch Phil Necro and his knuckleball. Oh, boy. In 59 uh, games with the Braves, Euchre had 25 fast balls. Of course, he was (laughs) out there with a knuckleballer on the mound, so it's not that's surprising but this was the guy they traded for specifically to catch the knuckleball which leads me to remember one of bob euchre's most famous quotes and it's specifically about his strategy for catching a knuckleball where he said quote the best way to catch a knuckleball is to wait for it to stop rolling and then pick it up (laughs) 
so true. Is it? <laughs> so Euchre retired after the season and, and finally called it quits uh, on the diamond. Uh, these are what Euchre lists as his career highlights as a player. First, he walked with the bases loaded to drive in the winning run in an inter-squad game during spring training one time. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, next, uh, he got an intentional walk from Sandy Koufax, but he wow. also did hit a home run against Koufax the same game. Wow. He was pretty proud of that until he heard the commissioner wrote Koufax a letter telling him uh, next time something like that happened, he'd be fine for damaging the image of the game. <laughs> And then his final uh, highlight he lists, he got out of a rundown against the Mets. <laughs> so he beat the pickle one time. Yeah, how about that? That's, that's not easy to do. It's not, even against the Mets. So that's when uh, he turned into Bob Euchre Entertainer after he finally hung up his spikes. Euchre's first job was uh, at WSB Radio in Atlanta, where he worked with a couple of legends, Ernie Johnson Sr. and Milo Hamilton. He also... That same year, opened for Don Rickles on the road. Wow. And then that kind of uh, kind of got him into the public spotlight, and he ended up getting a spot on Johnny Carson's show, The, the Tonight Show. There you go. Uke made over 100 appearances on The Tonight Show while wow. Johnny Carson was there. Wow. He, he averaged four spots a year and was even given a lucrative spot on Johnny Carson's retirement show. Nice. Which is impressive. And I, I always remember I always remember him from Carson. Yep. Which shows how old we are. But. Yeah. Uh Yuka returned to his native Milwaukee in 1970. The Brewers were uh, about to kick off their inaugural season, and Euchre was signed by the Brewers to become a scout and a part-time broadcaster. So Euchre had this to say about a scouting method. He said, yeah, I did some scouting, if you could call it that. For every guy, I wrote fringe major leaguer. So in case he ever made it, nobody could say, how'd you miss that guy? (laughs) Uh, 1971, Euchre uh, became full-time behind the microphone to broadcast games on both the radio and TV for the Brewers. He quickly became very good at it, despite uh, the image that he would usually play during his comedy routine. He really worked and improved his ability to call a baseball game. Uh, There's obviously a great difference between calling radio and TV. TV, you basically just talk about what's going on because people can see what's happening. But radio, you really have to paint a picture. And Euchre, to this day, is still really good at this. And he's really fun to listen to. Uh, call a game on the radio for the Brewers. Yeah, he's fantastic. So Uke then hit the big time working uh, the booth for ABC's Monday Night Baseball from 1976 through 1982. We've, we've discussed Monday Night Baseball, mm-hmm. the seminal role it's played in our fandom. Uh, some of this time, he worked with the legendary Howard Cosell, which I would not think would have been an ideal pairing, but the two really played off each other very well. Uke also went on to host other shows on ABC, like the legendary Battle of the Network Stars. I remember that. Oh my God, I loved that show. Yes. It would come on like maybe once or twice a year. Yes. And it was just everybody from all the networks, all the TV stars would do these athletic competitions. And uh, what's his, what was the guy? Welcome back, Cotter. What was the, the actor? Kaplan. Oh, he was the superstar. He was. He was. He was like the, the long-distance runner and all that stuff. He was an athlete. You wouldn't know yes. it by looking at it, but he was an athlete. Also a fantastic poker player, oddly enough. Really? 
Yeah, professionally. Know that. Well, after that, then came Miller Lite. And if you were around in the 80s, young or old, you saw these commercials and you loved them. Yep. The uh, penultimate one of these series of ads is when Yuke is attending a baseball game. You know, one of the best things about being an ex-big leaguer is getting freebies to the game. Call the front office, bingo. And once these fans recognize me, I probably won't even have to pay for my life here for Miller. Down the <laughs> I love them. These fans know I drink light because it's less filling and it tastes great. Good seats, huh? You're in the wrong seat, buddy. Come on. I must be in the front row. One of my absolute favorite commercials of all time. Yeah, and I'm going to put a bunch of links in the show notes uh, because I've, all of these are online. I'll put links to all these things. You can see the commercials and some of his Johnny Carson appearances and, and some of these just other just hilarious things that he's done. So his baseball, his non-baseball career continued to blow up, landing the lead role of, well, not the lead, but a, a major role as George Owens on Mr. Belvedere. A lot of his character was derived from his own stories. He played a sports writer in the show. Euchre hosted Saturday Night Live in October of 1984. And then came the movie franchise Major League where Uke was cast in the role of Cleveland Indians play-by-play voice Harry Doyle, which this worked out perfectly for Euchre because the movie, you know, while it was the the Cleveland Indians, they shot all of the baseball scenes in Milwaukee's County Stadium, home of the Brewers, uh, pretending that it was, at that point, the mistake by the lake uh, before Jacobs Field or Progressive, whatever it's called now. Top of the sixth and rookie sensation Ricky Vaughn on the pitch now. You can close the book on Kelder. Vaughn, a juvenile delinquent in the offseason in his major league debut. Vaughn into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Ball four. Ball eight. Low and Vaughn has walked the bases loaded on 12 straight pitches. Boy, how can these guys lay off pitches that close? So even with all the success, Euchre continued to stay with the Brewers, his hometown team. He said, I could have left there a long time ago, but no matter what I do, I'm staying. All the television stuff, the movies, the sitcoms, the commercials, that's all fun. But all I ever wanted to do is come back to Milwaukee every spring to do baseball. I, Fantastic. I can respect that. I, yep. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's baseball season and then it's waiting for baseball season. That's right. That's my two... My two uh, seasons right there. Yep. In uh, 2003, Euchre reached a plateau, which he would have never been able to reach as a player. He was awarded the Ford C. Frick Award, which got him a plaque in the Baseball Hall of Fame. His speech, as you can guess, was very entertaining. And I will uh, put that in the show notes as well. It is just shots of, first of all, he's, he's just deadpan. That's his style. He never cracks. And he, he had no notes for him. He never looks at a teleprompter or anything. This whole 20-minute speech, he's, he's just got memorized and he's just, you know, kind of freewheeling it. And all the camera was doing was panning, panning around behind him to all the Hall of Famers. And they're all just rubbing their eyes because they're crying the entire time. <laughs> he is just cracking them up. So uh, he, a couple of highlights from his, uh, from his speech Quote, I remember working first with Milo Hamilton and Ernie Johnson, and I was all fired up about that, too, until I found out that my portion of the broadcast was being used to jam radio-free Europe. (laughs) 
Then I picked up a microphone one day and it had no cord on it. So I wasn't talking to anybody. <laughs> he says, my kids used to do things to aggravate me too. I'd take them to a game and they'd want to come home with a different player. <laughs> so Euchre has also been enshrined in the Brewers Ring of Honor as well as their Wall of Honor. Who, I, who would have guessed they would have this many honor locations in Milwaukee that they've got? Yeah, a, a so many different geometric shapes. <laughs> uh, Euchre was also inducted into the WWE Wrestling Hall of Fame for his participation in WrestleMania 3 and 4, where he did he did some shtick with Andre the Giant, who, as we know, is was a, was a funny guy as well. He was. And right now he's honored in Miller Park, the current home of the Brewers, by uh, a row of seats that are obstructed views in the upper terrace level above home plate. It costs a dollar to sit in these seats, and they are called uh, Euchre's Miller Lite Front Row. (laughs) That's great. And if I ever get to, well, if, when I get to uh, Miller Park, I have definitely got to go. There's a statue of him sitting in one of the seats, so you can get your picture taken with it as well. Very nice. But like I said, this... This took me a long time to get all this information because uh, all of these these videos and stuff, this guy is just, he is a treasure. Not just a baseball treasure. He's just, he is just an all-around funny guy. And uh, I'd been looking forward to, to doing this. So, Bob Euchre, that was, that was fun. That's great, man. That's good stuff. Gotta love that, the uke. You gotta love the uke. All right, so because I now can see that we have both finished our segments, it is time for our final segment of the evening, and that is Wax Packed Heroes. It is time, and uh, Jeff, this time I've I've got the packs here. I've got uh, I've got four packs of 1989 Upper Deck. That's Griffey's rookie year. So uh, I decided, you know, I was going to go ahead and, and mortgage the house and purchase some uh, Upper Deck 89s. So I got four packs. I want you to pick a number one through four. Okay, one through four. So I can't go with my normal 66. So I'm going to go with number three. Number three. All right. I'm going to go with four then. All Set right. That yeah, there. So obviously, we're only going to open two packs today. Yes, we'll have the other two for another one. Uh, ratings week, sweeps week. That. <laughs> now right. it should be it should be noticed that uh, mentioned not noticed so much last week we instituted a new rule where commons are worth nothing we're That's just right. there there's nothing we're only going if you are above a common does that go towards your total and uh which is a good thing because commons are worth eight cents out of this this pack which is an all-time high and again before we get going just a quick look at the standings board i am currently in the lead three to one yeah so i'm hoping i'm hoping that these cards change my luck so uh first thing that happened they're kind of foil packs they're not so much wax but this this is the name of the segment we're sticking with it yeah Uh, and and a yankees hologram fell out Uh so yeah so i've you can keep that yeah Yeah. that's going out the window. I actually just threw it out the window. Okay. Um, so here we go. Your first your first card is Joaquin Andujar. Oh, there's a name. He's afraid of snakes. He, <laughs> he's, he played for the A's and the Astros. So, he, you know, he kind of covers us here. I remember one thing about Andujar is whenever he got up to bat, he would swing the bat as hard as he could. I mean... <laughs> Off, his shoes came off. He swung so hard because he figured, you know, look, like, I'm probably going to get out. 
but if I accidentally hit it, at least it'll be a home run. Swing so, hard in case you hit it. Yeah, who exactly. who said that? Was that was that... Joaquin Andujar. <laughs> but now Joaquin Andujar though was deathly afraid of snakes, and in the clubhouse, teammates would often put rubber snakes in his locker room, just in his locker, just to see him freak out. <laughs> Poor Joaquin. That's just that's just cruel. Yeah. But, oh, a Cincinnati Reds sticker just fell out. Hologram. That's not going to go I'll, out the window. I'll, I'll let you keep that one as well, though. Too. Okay, I won't send that to you. All right, your next card is Rob Murphy, pitcher for the Red Sox. That's exciting. Yeah, no, no clue on that guy. No. And Steve Wilson of the Cubs. <laughs> now, this is th- these are major league players, right? Not. Uh... Yeah, I mean the pictures are in major league uniforms. Steve Wilson, uh, little Pacific Northwest connection from Victoria, BC. Just thought I'd go. point that out. Um, your next card is the famous Chris Brown. <laughs> who, wow. These are some, these are some great names. Yeah. Chris Brown. So far you're doing real well, man. This is, a, are you sure this isn't your pack? This kind of seems more up your alley. You, you said three, right? Yeah. Yes. You said three. Oh, here's one for you. Mike Davis. All right. You know, there's an athletic. Yeah. There you go. Uh, a very good ball player. Good defense. He could hit a little and yeah, not a bad ball player. And, oh, here you go. Carlton Fisk. The original Pudge to me. The original Pudge. And he played for like 37 years, I think, or something ridiculous. 48 years, I think, he played as catcher. <laughs> now, do you, I've got to assume that other catchers were named Pudge before him, right? I, I just think so. Oh, that's for our next nickname segment. We'll look that up. All the Pudges. I think you get one Pudge per generation. Yeah. <laughs> So Carlton Fisk, and here's a friend of the show that comes up once in a while, Mr. Dave Parker. Ah, the Cobra. Nice. He's in his A's uniform here, so he left the Reds, and he was hitting home run for the A's. Is, the it, is, it, is, is he swinging the uh, the sledgehammer on the on-deck circle? Uh, no, he's. it looks like he just hit one out, and he's starting his trot. There, there, is like. one, there is one upper deck where I believe the picture on the back is him with the sledgehammer. Let's see. No, he's 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 in his trot on the back. So, right. uh, your next player is the Braves' own Charlie Puleo. <laughs> Never heard of him. Yeah, I believe he was a middle relief kind of guy. It wasn't bad. I don't, I don't think he struck fear into the hearts of a lot of hitters, but it wasn't bad. And another pitcher. Oh no, he's just looking like a pitcher. He's an outfielder, Dave Clark. Dave okay. Clark of the Cleveland Indians. At least know that name. Yeah, and um, the Dave Clark Five, right? That's right. Yes. So whoever that was. All right. Ari, you got one right here. We know this guy, Rafael Palmero. Ah, yes. He of the truth telling congressional uh, hearings. Yes. And I believe you, at the time you could send this in and you could get some free Viagra because he did their commercials. <laughs> or free, you know, free PEDs, one or the other. Free, whatever, whatever you prefer at the moment. Um, here's another guy, Vince Coleman. Ah, okay. Vincent Van Gogh. G.O. Go. Uh, guy, you know, last guy to steal 100 bases in a season, I think. I'm not positive on that, though. Uh, these are all commons still. So far, common. And you're not going to believe it. Ken Gerhardt. Dang it. I, just, I saw the Ken G. In. <laughs> Ken, Ken Gerhardt Jr. No. Gerhardt, uh, from, uh, probably a senior. Uh, Orioles outfielder. Lifetime 221 hitter. Boy, you're really racking them up here, man. <laughs> Bob Nepper. 
Why, there's a, is he in a Red Sox uniform? No, he's he was an Astro at the time. Ah. Bob Nipper was the, the Jamie Moyer of the past. Yeah, <laughs> guy threw a lot of junk balls and stuff like that, and he was pretty successful for a junk baller. Your next guy is Keith Moreland. Ah, the Cub great. Yeah, uh, and at this time he was playing for the Padres, but yes, for the Cubs he actually hit 300 a couple times. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that old time Cubs fans will will reminisce fondly about. All right, and you got one card left. This is your shot at hitting something big. Todd Stottlemyre. Hey, well, <laughs> no soup he was for you, a, man. He was an athletic at one point, as well as a <laughs> as well as a Blue Jay, and his father. And he, well, he was just the uh, the pitching coach for the Mariners a year or two ago, wasn't he? He was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I think your best card is either the. Uh, Dave Parker, or yeah, I'll I'll take the Parker. Card, I think it's but... Parker, yeah, because um, looking at a lot of these, I, too bad it's Ken Gerhard instead of Gerithy. <laughs> so that's oh, a big well. shutout, though. That is yeah, that was, nothing. Goose egg. That was uh, definitely um, some interesting cards, and by interesting, I mean terrible. So <laughs> we're gonna open up pack number four, right on top. Tom Glavin. What what number is that card? That is 360. Uh, Probably no. a common. Yeah. yeah, that's a common. We talked about Glavin a little bit earlier in the show. Yep, though, Glav so. Daddy. That's oh, we right. talked to, Yeah, we talked about him during BP. That's Just right. Take the long ball. Dale Swaim. Ah, former athletic batting coach. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah Swaim was around for quite a long time. Uh, middle infielder, I believe. Didn't, uh, he yep, manage the, didn't he manage the Cubs for like a hot minute at some point, too? He may have. It sounds familiar. Well, I mean, we could look it up on the internet machine, but, uh, you know, I'm covered in baseball cards. Yeah, too so, much work. Um, Kevin Bass of the Astros. This is one of my favorite oh, players of all time. I remember Kevin Bass, and I Kevin, remember him specifically in Houston. Yep. Yep, Kevin Largemouth Bass. Um, <laughs> I actually had the pleasure of working with his niece, Jordan, uh, for a while at the, at the Mariners. Oh. And, boy, she was, a, she was a smart one and a darn good ball player herself. So, Kevin Bass, that's a score personally, even though it may not be worth anything. Mike Felder. Tiny. Tiny Nickname was Tiny. Yep. That's right. Let's see here. Uh, height 5'8", weight 160. That would be why. <laughs> I had the stats right there with me. And here's a guy named Paul Zuvella. Yeah, I remember Zuvella. Yep, I remember Zuvella. Um, he's kind of a – he was like a, one of those defensive replacement kind of guys. Yeah, he was never, he was never an everyday player. Yep. Uh, next card, the Yankees' own Al Leiter. Ah, isn't, yeah. isn't he now Major League Baseball Network, MLB Network's Al Leiter? I think he is. Yeah, I, I believe he's... so. All right, and then the Pittsburgh Pirates' own John Smiley, who is not smiling on either of his pictures, but... Oh, just an ironic sitting. last name. Yes, very. Um, Mike Diaz of the White Sox would be next, mm. and I don't recall a whole lot about that I guy either. Yeah, not, not familiar with Mr. Diaz. Odell Jones. Odell Jones, a right-hander for the Brewers and Orioles and the Rangers and pretty much anybody else. So I'm thinking that's Not a common. Not familiar with him. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, here we go. Dwayne Bice. Dwayne Miami Bice. That name sounds familiar, but I couldn't place it. I just like his nickname, Miami Bice. Uh, he was a, actually the closer for the Angels in 87. So that's kind of interesting. 
Um, journeyman Rick Russell from the Giants. Yeah. Would be my next card. And then we got Lenny Harris. Of oh, the, Cincinnati the pinch Reds. hitting legend. That's right. This would be a rookie uh, Lenny Harris card, too. So, you know, it's probably still worth eight cents. Yes. Still coming. <laughs> um, Rick Mailer, Rick Junk Mailer. The Brave. Who, I remember him from the Braves specifically. Yeah, me too. He's he's a red Cincinnati red in this uh, on this card, and it, it makes it look like he's a second baseman because he's making a play somewhere on the dirt. So, anyway, uh, Rick Mailer, and finally Mike Krukow, who we were hoping to get, um, whoever that is. Actually, he Mike, pitched for quite a while. Mike Krukow. Uh, yeah, twenty game winner one year. Yeah, he is the uh, the play by play announcer for the Giants now on TV. He is unfortunately uh, stricken with MS. He doesn't travel with the team anymore, but he still. I mean, he is a legend here in the Bay Area. Okay, there you go, man. Right on. So I got that one, and my final card, <laughs> Richard Dotson, not Dawson, <laughs> but Richard now, Dotson. Yep. Pitcher that I remember from being with the White Sox. He is. He was a White Sox for you know, wow, he he was an innings eater too. He'd give you two hundred innings every year. Yeah. At the, probably at the back of a rotation too. Right. Probably probably would be worth nine million a year at this point. <laughs> so I think we have a tie here. Yeah. Now um, how do we how do we handle that? What was your best card? Who are you pulling is your best there? Well, my personal favorite or my oh, best? Oh, Kevin Bass. Well, yeah. well you know, you got to choose. We're going to go, <laughs> since I'm the commissioner, we're going to go one-on-one gladi- gladiatorial combat. Dave Parker versus... Tom Glavin. Tom- <laughs> well, Tom Glavin was a hockey player, so Tom Glavin is tough. I wonder if in their career, whoever did better in their career... Well, Glavin's uh, a Hall of Famer. Another. Well, against one another, I mean. Would they have faced? Well, the truth; these are both eighty-nine cards, no, uh, think, ninety-eight cards. I think I may have a winner here, uh, Jeff, because I got three holograms stickers. <laughs> what teams are they? Uh, the Reds, the Twins, and the Dodgers. Is the Twins the M logo, or is it the TC? What logo is it? It's the M. I like that. I like that logo. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't. We got a tie, man. Yeah, I think we're just gonna have to cover. We're, we're gonna pretend that we're in Japan and that we played go. the twelve innings. We're gonna send everybody home. We're gonna kiss the sisters. We're gonna call it a tie. <laughs> oh well, boy, that was not a disappointment at all. <laughs> those those were some crappy cards. That like was every other every other pack that we have opened, we've gotten at least one card that we're like, oh, well, you know, that's clearly our best card, or you know. At least something, but so we got one Hall of Famer between both packs. That's right. And one Hall of Gamer in Dave Parker. <laughs> well, maybe the next time we do 89 Upper Deck, it'll be a little better. Maybe. It's fun, yeah. though, because those cards are still pretty no matter what. You know, they are. They're cool get. looking cards, and they're they're all made out of a real high quality paper stock, which is what I always liked about them. And they've got a hologram on them. Yeah, I've got, I'm going to put that Dodgers one somewhere, I think. No, on the back of the card, there's a hologram too. Oh yeah, the little, you mean the, the little yeah? Because they can't yeah. counterfeit them. Yep, that way. Big, big time, big yep. time. Sweet. All right, so there, you, there you go. Our the first ever tie in Wax Packs Hero. Let's hope it and doesn't it was, happen again. It was an exciting one too, boy. <laughs> yeah, those are some great names. <laughs> Man, 
I mean, it's not every day you get a tiny Felder rookie card, you know? No, you really don't. You really yeah. don't. <laughs> so this is the part of the show where I like to remind everybody about our social media because guess what? We're on social media. You can uh, you can follow us. You can talk with us. You can see what we post. We post a lot every day, a lot of uh, historical baseball stuff. Uh, we can be found on both Twitter and Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise. Uh, we would really uh, like to hear from you. If you've got a show idea, a topic idea, send it our way. If we have said something so stupid that it outraged you because we were wrong, it wouldn't be the first time. Feel free to let us know. We'll we'll hit it up on a corrections uh, uh, on on a kangaroo court. We didn't, we didn't do kangaroo court this this time. We I know I've got one too. So yeah. I'm gonna fine you for not reminding me. Uh, oh, there it goes. Seven seven dollars and twenty three cents. That's what I paid for these packs. So I guess we're well, good. That works out well. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of fun today, Mark. Uh, yeah, I would like to do this again. Should we do this again next week? Are you free? Um, let me check the calendar. Oh, I have nothing going on for a month. Yeah, let's do another show. All right. Well, then uh, we hope that maybe you will join us again next week for another edition of Two Strike Noise. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.